Hello, and welcome back to So You Think You Want to Homeschool with Erica Rossiglione. Today's episode is called Deschooling versus Unschooling. What does it all mean? I want to talk a little bit about some of the more common homeschooling terms that maybe confused me a little bit in the beginning, just to make it a little less overwhelming and give you a little grip on what everybody's talking about. So I actually thought for a while that de-schooling and unschooling were the same thing. I mean, they sound fairly similar, so I figured they were probably under the same umbrella. And in some ways, I guess they are. But the truth is that de-schooling is very different from unschooling. De-schooling is a very important part of the homeschool journey. I think especially for um, parents who were brought up in the public school system or families who started their children in public school or private school, even just brick and mortar type of school. Deschooling is the process of unlearning that lifestyle. Um, I think I've heard that the recommendation is to de-school one month for every year that your child has attended public school. And really, honestly, I think it's so much more important and more difficult for us as parents to de-school. It's really unlearning everything that we have been taught and not necessarily the academics of it, but really the lifestyle. You know, they say you really shouldn't recreate school at home. Um, you're, you're not doing that. You're homeschoolers. You're about to embark on a whole different journey. So you don't have to wake up at 6.30 in the morning. You don't have to be pencil in hand by 8.30 a.m. or 9 a.m. and snack is at this time. And, you know, some families really thrive in that structure and that's totally fine. But there's a lot of um, things from the, the academic or the, the public school environment that you are free to leave behind. Um, you know, the standards are a huge, huge part of it. We have this this ingrained in us that we need to have our kids reading by this age and writing by this age. And this is what math they should be up to by first grade, second grade, third grade. Um, and the truth is the beauty of homeschooling, as I've mentioned so many times before, is that you are going to meet your child where they're at. And sometimes when you are looking at those standards, um, it becomes very difficult to detach yourself from that and realize that, yeah, my kid might be a little bit behind in reading, but they're pretty advanced in mathematics. Um, You're going to really just have to break the chains of public school and just follow your child and their interest. When you're de-schooling, you're letting them be. You're seeing what they enjoy. You're going to start observing what type of learner they are. You're going to start observing what type of teacher you are um, and really kind of establishing that relationship. I think that's also a big important part of the de-schooling process is there will be shifts in your relationship and it's so important that your energy in your home is at the right place. You do not want to be the teacher that they hate. (laughs) You do not want to be the teacher that they dread waking up to every day. So you really need to find a balance. And it's kind of hard to do that when you're you're making sure that they do their math and their science and their English and you're holding yourself to a standard that you haven't let go of. Um, You know, it's just a time of relaxation and really breaking those chains and de-schooling. 
Um, unschooling is really a type of homeschooling that a lot of people seem to be embracing, myself included. You know, I consider us eclectic homeschoolers. That means that we we pick and choose. There's another, um, you know, keynote term for you, another vocabulary word for today's episode, the eclectic homeschooler. We use a little bit of everything. It's like, um, it's like a buffet. I've seen it described as a buffet. Yes, we might use curriculum. Yes, we might use... Um, movies and books that are not in our curriculum and and TV shows and field trips and experiences and science kits that we got for Christmas and things like that. It's really just a buffet of learning. So um, eclectic homeschooling means you use a little bit of, of everything or a little bit of whatever you choose to use. Unschooling is really, really, um, you know, people, I think, sometimes have this picture of like feral children in their head when they hear unschooling, and that's not the case at all. Unschooling is really interest-based learning. You're following your child's lead. It's for people who really have gotten the hang of de-schooling, I would say, (laughs) because you're able to just trust your child and follow their lead and and let them live and, and learn through living, whether that means they're budgeting to buy, you know, fabric for a quilt they want to make because they took a a 4-H sewing class and now they've caught the bug and, you know, you're tying math into it, you're tying um, planning and strategies into it, uh, budgeting, things like that. Whether it means that they have caught the baking bug and they want to watch every bake-off show on Netflix and then recreate their favorite recipes and maybe you double those recipes or maybe you half those recipes. Maybe you look into like the history of baking and, and you know where certain, um, certain cuisines came from, where certain recipes come from. Maybe you make an Irish soda bread one day and an Italian pizzelles the next um, and look into the history of those things. Unschooling really is, in my in my opinion, an interest-based learning um, way of life, and it's pretty cool. I, I enjoy unschooling. I think that for us, again, we're eclectic. We do use a lot of curriculum that we pick and choose from. Some people would say that's not technically unschooling because, you know, true unschoolers don't use curriculum, but um, we do. We use it as a tool, and I enjoy it, and I like the direction it gives us, but I do feel that we have a very unschooly vibe. I, I don't think twice about, you know, dropping everything for the day and going on a hike if it's beautiful out, taking our nature journals with us, or not taking our nature journals with us if I think it's going to make it a torturous experience. It depends on where we're at that day. Um... I have no problem with dropping everything to follow, um, you know, I've mentioned the the Chronicles of Narnia because that's where we're at lately. I was going to pick up with our next Blossom and Root book after we finished The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but my kids so enjoyed it that I think we're about to just hit the whole series up. That's a seven book series (laughs) that we're about to dive into. And I didn't really think twice about it because they enjoy it. So let's go for it. That for me is a little bit of unschooling that that vibe that lifestyle where you can change direction and follow what's working for you um and i just find it makes such a pleasant pleasant um experience i think that you, again you need to de-school to be able to unschool um there's some books by john holt that people always talk about and recommend when you're looking into this Um, Another way of learning, which I think falls kind of under the unschooling umbrella, is unit studies. Some people are are heavy with unit studies. And kind of similar to what I said with the baking, it's like finding an interest 
and then just expanding on that and making it check all of your academic boxes. You're going to, um, we did accidentally, you know, kind of stumbled across a unit study on the Great Depression. We had read a couple of books um, near each other, The Mighty Miss Malone and Echo Mountain. Highly recommend both of those those books um, around a fourth, fifth grade level, I guess. And they both were two very different stories that took place during the Great Depression. And then we went down the rabbit hole and we watched Newsies and we watched Annie and we did comparison essays about those two books. And we looked into some recipes and we talked about a recipe in my family that is super, super common still. We still make it to this day. And it um, is three very basic ingredients that came out of, you know, my grandmother's kind of Great Depression cookbook, I guess. Um, so unit studies are a great way, another interest-based learning type of experience. Secular, the word secular, this one is so interesting to me, um, because, you know, I'm in a lot of secular Facebook groups, and I've said this before, when you're in a Facebook group, you really need to understand that they can be so, so helpful, but every social media platform is loaded with keyboard warriors, and recently there was actually a, um debate on one of my secular pages about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, because I guess a lot of people really do this in the wintertime, around Christmas time. It's a nice, like, you know, winter-themed book, classic, wonderful, beautifully written, and here come the keyboard warriors. That's not a secular book. There are tons of religious references and allegories and all of that jazz. Well, the thing about secular is that it's a faith-neutral perspective. That doesn't mean that we're not teaching that faith (laughs) exists, that we're not teaching that religions exist. And yes, there are references in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for sure. Um, But if you didn't know, you might not notice them. And also, you don't have to teach that from a, a biblical perspective. I can teach the Bible from a secular perspective. All I'm saying is that you know, this is a religion that exists. It doesn't necessarily mean it's what we believe, but you bet your butt it's out there. And especially when it comes to the Bible, not to get on a soapbox, but like there are so many literary references, political. I mean, we're, we talk about the Bible, dear Lord, so often that if I didn't teach my kids anything about it, and just pretended that this didn't exist, um, there would be a ton of information or references in culturally that just would be going over their heads. So obviously that's not how we roll. Um, we also learned all about Greek mythology and dove deep into that when we did Percy Jackson. We also just recently read the Ramayana, the divine loophole. It's a Hindu um, mythology and learned all about that. Uh, Sanjay Patel has a beautifully, beautifully illustrated, he's a a Pixar artist, um, beautifully illustrated book that we read, and also has a really nice little um, short on, on, I believe it's Amazon Prime, that goes along with it that you can look up. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but Sanjay Patel, check him out. Um, That was a great little study that we did. So yeah, you know, does that mean that I'm teaching my children that Greek mythology is our way of life. No, I'm teaching them about it as I like to teach them about all things. Um, So yeah, secular means faith neutral. It does not mean faith ignorant in my head. It doesn't mean ignoring that that religions exist at all. So that's my little 
blurb about that. Uh, we talked about eclectic um, literature-based learning. Again, when we did uh, The Great Depression, uh, it was sparked by these two books. And I love, love, love historical fiction. I think that Blossom and Root does such a great job of bringing in some really wonderful historical fiction that really allows us to tie history into our literature selections. And I just think they get so much more out of it um, than they do. Unfortunately, history is not their favorite. We do follow history quests loosely, and I really, really like that program. But my kids are not always so into it from this, like, you know, this this textbook type of perspective. Um, they learn while we read fictional stories and it really like lets it set in especially if there's a movie or something to go along with it forget it then they're 100% all in um so obviously you know there's faith-based learning that is very easy to get your hands on faith-based homeschool curriculum um you know and that is a, a choice for a lot of people that's part of the reason that so many people homeschool is because you know they've taken God out of the classroom and you know some people don't want that some people think that that's a huge part of their educational process and you know go for it man so faith-based learning is obviously like I said fairly easy to get your hands on oh game schooling this is so cool and I do want to dive into it more there are people out there who literally will use game games to educate and really like enthrall themselves into it I mean there's a whole Minecraft education edition. There are so many board games and video games and educational games that people don't even realize that you can use this as your whole backbone to your homeschool. I mean, think about how much just a game of Monopoly, you know, introduces math and Stratego introduces strategizing, you know, the same as chess, the same as checkers, you know, there is so much planning, um, sleeping queens and Scrabble and all of these things, you know, you can literally play games with your kids and educate them that way. And people who really, really embrace that um, are considered game schoolers. Whole, whole subdivision of homeschooling, a whole, whole way of life that you could definitely find Facebook groups and support groups for um, that I think are really cool. We incorporate, we incorporate, excuse me, a lot of games, but I, I would not consider ourselves game schoolers. Um, what else did I want to talk? Oh, here's a curriculum and accreditation. So curriculum is, you know, written, every school uses curriculum. You get zero choice in the matter. In fact, I'm still on a lot of my old, um, you know, mom groups from back home in Long Island and people are really up in arms right now about the curriculum choices, even for literature. I mean, math has always been a hot, hot topic science, math, everything, you know, the textbooks that you use are part of a curriculum that's designed for that school year, for that grade, X, Y, Z. Um, our curriculum is going to be different than that. We get to choose. I got to say, I want to be outside. I want to be around nature. I want a secular perspective. I want this, that, and the other thing. And I stumbled across, like I said, Blossom and Root, Brave Writer. These are things that align with our learning styles, my teaching style, and the lifestyle that I want to live. Um, you don't get a choice of that in public school. So when your kid is coming home with homework that's blowing your mind and you're angry about it, that's because the district chose a curriculum that sucks <laughs> or that is too advanced for where your your kids all 
likely are. And um, that's happened a number of times and I'm so happy to be free from that. The word accreditation is a big one, um, especially for new or unexpected homeschoolers. Particularly in New York, I used to see this a lot because New York has a few more standards, a few more, a lot more paperwork and boxes to be checked. And um, people were always looking for accredited curriculum. They don't want to screw their kids out of getting either back into high school if they wanted to go back or into college or, you know, to, to screw them up in the future because they chose a curriculum that's not accredited. Here's the deal and the truth of the matter. A school can become accredited. A curriculum cannot become accredited. Accreditation applies to a school. Now, some schools have released curriculum and they put it under the umbrella of being accredited. It's not true. Your, your curriculum cannot be accredited. It's, it's an, a merit given to a school after checking certain boxes and going through a lengthy, expensive process, which um, not a lot of public schools even do. There are so many public schools in this country that are not accredited because they don't have the funding or the energy or the care to go through the process for a little, you know, gold star that says that they are an accredited institution. It's not necessary. None of those children who graduate from those schools are turned down from colleges because their high school was not accredited. That does not happen. So with very few exceptions, really, I find it to be a money grab and, and a trickery towards scare parents who are trying to do the right thing by their kids. And it's really just not necessary at all. Um, I also see the term school at home thrown around a lot. And I feel like this is, and listen, to each their own. Every kid learns differently. A lot of kids really thrive in particular structure. Um, but school at home really is recreating public school at home. Maybe you're going to use the curriculum that your district chooses because you're wanting to send your child back um, at a certain point or you want to make sure you have that option or you just don't know what else to do. Maybe they learn best. A lot of kids um, still attend public school online. They'll take their courses online. That's schooling at home. You're doing the public school thing at home. You're recreating that at home. And that is fine for some people. Did not work for us. I have no desire to do it, but that is um, a term that's out there and that's really what it means. Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mason is a really interesting style of homeschool for me because a lot of my curriculum that I have looked at and fallen in love with takes pieces of Charlotte Mason style learning. So Charlotte Mason learning is a lot of nature walks and nature journaling, copy work, which has been a huge game changer for my um, oldest child who has dysgraphia, uh, which is similar to dyslexia, but it's more about the written expression. It's more about getting your words out It's than, you know, processing them inwardly when you're trying to read. It's it's um, difficulty with writing. It's difficulty with spatial awareness. It's, diff you know, your, your letters might go up or down a page. Maybe you don't put a space between your words, but you accidentally space out an entire word way too big. Um, very inconsistent and, and sloppy handwriting is a big indicator. Um, but it's really a processing thing. So for my son, at first, I actually steered away from and shied away from the copy work that was included in our curriculum because I felt like it was just extra torture that wasn't necessary until I realized that doing a little bit of copy work, and I say a little bit because something to remember, especially with dyslexia, dys dysgraphia, things of that nature, 
They're working 10 times as hard as your average kid. So they're going to tire 10 times easier doing these tasks than your average kid. And sometimes that looks like laziness or defiance or, um, you know, just giving up or, you know, being difficult. And it's not always that it's, they're really are that much more tired. And we are so programmed to try and fix the problem. He's got terrible handwriting. We have to practice and practice and practice until it gets better, but his hand muscles are not developed. It's, it's harder for him. So I do things very much in moderation, short pieces of copy work, but copy work is such a great tool for kids with dysgraphia because it allows them to not have to think about their words and go through the process of writing. It allows them to focus on their handwriting without having to worry about anything else. So my kid hated handwriting without tears. He hated just practicing letters and whatnot, but doing a couple of sentences of copy work is not his favorite, but it has made such a difference in his handwriting. It's unreal. Um, and I often will use his own words as copy work. I will scribe his answers to a reader response question, let him get all that information out as it comes to him without getting lost in the process of writing um, and, and answer that question. And then I'll either highlight or, or rewrite separately on, on a separate piece of paper a few of his sentences and ask him to then write those as his copy work. What a difference it has made. Um, but back to Charlotte Mason which is where the copywork <laughs> branch off came in. It's also Christian based. So I didn't even realize that at first. And there's a local Charlotte Mason group um, that I was so excited to join. The woman who organized it was uh, just so organized and she had everything planned out. Calendar was planned out so far ahead of time. Lots of nature hikes and things of that nature. Um, I thought that it was going to be a perfect fit for us. I very quickly realized it was not um, secular homeschooling in the South is not super easy. And sometimes these groups um, are not as welcoming as they would like to seem. So <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, Charlotte Mason has, has bits and pieces. And like I said, a lot of secular curriculums that I love use bits and pieces of Charlotte Mason, but they leave the, uh, the Bible study at home. Um, so what else? What else do we have? I feel like that might be it for today. I've gone a little past 20 minutes. So that's usually where I try to aim for 15 to 20 minutes and then not torture you guys too much beyond that. But I did want to get my next episode launched. I've had some tech technical difficulties and hopefully we're getting over those and this episode is going to work out beautifully. Tune in next time to So You Think You Want to Homeschool with Erica Rasiglioni. Bye guys.